Uh, today I want to talk about a, a new kingdom. Uh, you and I have been transferred, if you're, if you're a believer here, a Christian, you've been transferred into a new kingdom. And so I want to talk about that, a new kingdom. L last week I mentioned that the benevolence of the Lilly Endowment, we were given some money by the Lilly Endowment for ministers, and we took some time off, and, and we got to spend that money to travel. And one of the places we went to was Paris, I mentioned last week. And, and uh, a little while before sunset, when we arrived in Paris, um, myself and, and my three kids, Sean and Cress and Mitch, we decided to go to the Eiffel Tower. Now, it was pretty easy to find the Eiffel Tower because it hovered over everything, and we walked to it, and we stayed there till, till after dark, and it was getting fairly late, and we decided to head back to the room. And I mentioned that I got us severely lost. And I figured out how I got us lost was I was trying to navigate in Paris like you would navigate in Indiana or in the United States. And most of our roads here are what I call a grid system. You know, they run parallel to each other and then perpendicular to each other. And you kind of, you know, when you turn, make a left-hand turn, most of the time if you're in a city anyway, you're, you're pretty much making a 90-degree turn. But these were spoke roads. They all kind of hubbed, hubbed out of the Arc de Triomphe. Now, I don't know how all France does. That's just the only place we were. And so every time I made a turn that I thought would be like a 90 degree like this, it was more like a 45 like this. And so you'd go a little ways, and then you'd turn again and go a little ways. The next thing you know, you are so far from your destination. And you're so far from your destination because I broke a rule of, of the kingdom and a rule of travel is you need to operate by the system in the territory you're in. And so we want to sometimes operate as Christians in the world system. And there's similarities because we are in this world. The Bible says but we're not of this world. And so we got to figure out how do we operate in the kingdom. And we got so lost because we didn't know how to operate in that realm we were in in Paris. And so as you travel around the world, you, you notice there's language differences and currency differences and all kinds of things. In fact, some places in the, the world, it'd be, really behoove you to know this if you travel and rent a car. Some places in the world, they travel on the opposite side of the road than we do. Now, can you imagine not knowing that? You'd be out there driving, and I know what you'd be saying. These people are all kooks. Nobody can drive on the right side of the road. Well, they're all driving on the correct side of the road. You're not. So we've got to understand the kingdom in which we operate in. But what happens is, and I'm prone to this too, we want to take Christianity, which is actually supernatural and spiritual, I want that to sink in for a second. Christianity is supernatural. Christianity is spiritual. We, we are spirit beings. We live in this body temporarily, but we're spirit beings, and we have this eternal life in us in Jesus, and we're trying to operate by a finite world. We're trying to operate by the world system. So we want to take Christianity in the Western world, and I'm wired up this way too. We want to take Christianity, we want to make it very cerebral, very academic, very, very uh, logical, and and we want to package it all up real nice, which, again, I, I think that way too, but that's not the way it works. Now, I do want to say this, according to Scripture, our kingdom's not illogical. I mean, God is the ultimate intelligence. I hope you understand that. He's the ultimate intelligence. And so our kingdom's not irrational. It's not illogical. It's, it doesn't lack any of those things. In fact, the thing is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 tell us that we have a wisdom it's just not the wisdom of this world. We have a wisdom. It's just not the wisdom of this culture that is passing away. We have a wisdom, the wisdom of God. And so we got to say, okay, I need to know the mind of God, the wisdom of God. And the kingdom of God operates different than the kingdom of this world. 
Remember, Jesus would say things like this. You've heard it said, but I say. And when he said, you heard it said, he was even quoting Jewish laws that got established. But he said, there's a new covenant. There's a new, there's a new relationship coming on. We're getting towards the heart of the matter, not just towards the outside of the matter. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You will look through Jesus' teachings. You'll say, man, is, is Christianity upside down? It is to the world, but it's really right side up. Jesus would say crazy things like this. Do you want to be first? Then be last. Do you want to be exalted? Then humble yourself. Do you want to get? Then give. Do you want to rise up the ranks? Then become a servant. Think about all those things. And I will tell you, you watch this. You look at the, the success motivational speakers of the world who are the most popular, and I almost guarantee you every single time they've tapped a biblical truth and when they give it, the world goes, oh, we've never heard anything like this before. You know what's been going on for the last 10 years? There's been such a, a press in the, in the secular world about, guess what, servant leadership. Now, where did that come from? Jesus. Jesus took out his outer garment. He washed their feet. And he said, you call me master and Lord, rightfully so. But I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So about any time the world finds something that really takes root and really gets some traction, you'll find out most of the time it's got good biblical understanding, good biblical truth. And so I want to look at some truth here from the scripture. And there's so much in these three verses that I'll just hold myself back from preaching three messages here because there's so much good stuff here in Colossians chapter 1, 12, 13, and 14. Now, so good. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. We're talking about God the Father. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. I want to pause there for a second. It's not my message, but I can't pass it up. How did you get qualified? By the Father. Not by your own goodness, not by your great deeds, not by how you know, brilliant you are, intelligent you are, which is totally countercultural to the world. If you have, if you have played any like track and field you get qualified by being one of the fastest. You get qualified by jumping the highest, jumping the farthest, uh, by throwing the shot put the farthest. You, you got to qualify yourself by your own physical prowess and strength and expertise, but not the kingdom. The kingdom says that the Father has qualified you. The Father has qualified you. That's wonderful news because I don't know about you, but we don't always qualify. I spent two years in track, my junior my junior high years, 7th and 8th grade, and I loved the fellowship, but I never did anything of any import. I won one ribbon. It was in the high jump at Brown County. And I was so excited because there's a first, second, third place ribbon, and there's only three people competing in this event. And I went, whoo, I said, I'm going to win my first ribbon. But then I got a little discouraged because the guy said, you don't get a ribbon unless you qualify by high jumping over the minimum height. And I went, oh, Lord, so many rules. Well, somehow I made it over the thing. I don't know if they held the bar on or whatever. But we try to qualify ourselves, and we, we're not that good. So thank to God, joyful thanks. That's why we have joyful thanks. God qualified me. I'm not qualified, God qualified me. Qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of what? Light, the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us. He has rescued us. He has, we didn't rescue ourselves. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 
we've been brought into the kingdom of Jesus. The dominion of darkness is the devil and his kingdom, and he has a delegated authority. Uh, the scripture, the Greek word there is exousia. He has a, a delegated authority, and much of it was delegated from Adam and Eve when they sinned and passed along their authority to the devil. But God says, I got something higher than that. It's bestilia, I think is how it's said in the Greek, and, and you, it's a kingdom. It's not just a delegated authority, it's a kingdom. And so we've been translated into a kingdom and so we are above the dominion of the devil. So no more saying, you know what, I'd really like to go somewhere in my life, but the devil just holds me back. Well, hold it. We have been delivered from the devil. These are just biblical truths that I want you to know and walk in as we look at how to operate in the kingdom that we're in. So now as a follower of Jesus, we got to adjust to a new kingdom. Kingdoms have different laws, different rules, different processes, different procedures. Now here's an example of someone operating wisely in their kingdom in a parable that Jesus tells. By the way, they're not saying this is the way you ought to live life. They're just saying, hmm, that was pretty sharp. What happens is there's this manager of a rich person's properties and goods and finances and wealth and he's about to get fired because he's not doing a very good job. But he says, hold it, before I get fired, I need to make some friends here because I'm too weak to old to dig and I don't want to beg. So he runs around, you can read the story, he runs around and he starts cutting people's bills in half. He says, you owe my master 500 bushels of wheat, let's just call it 250. You owe my master 500 pieces of silver, let's call it 250. He cuts everybody in half. And so he makes all these friends with people. And then it says this. In Luke 16, 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly, for the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. So, we people of light need to become, now shrewd not in a negative way, because that word usually has negative connotations. We need to become wise in how to operate in our kingdom as children of light. So we're going to look at some really big themes in the scripture over the next few weeks. And I just, I don't make a lot of promises about stuff. I'm going to make a promise to you. I promise you, you get these scriptures. You take these to heart. And now here's the, here's the, the thing where we drop the ball, me, you, all of us, most of the time, and you apply them. You know what I mean? It's always one thing to learn something, but now we've got to apply it. And so you learn these truths and you apply these truths. Here's what I promise to you. They will change your life. They will change your life. If you get these promises, you get these scriptures, you put them into practice, you won't do it flawlessly, you won't do it perfectly. I understand that. We're all growing and moving forward, but it will change your life. So I hope I've said that emphatically enough. It will change your life. The supreme truth that we're going to look at today is the topic of faith. Now, faith is the currency of heaven. It has a supremacy in our life, faith above all things. Now, if I wanted to argue about it, I would argue, well, isn't love the biggest? I mean, the, the, these three abide, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And as an attribute, love is the greatest. And in fact, God is love. He's not just loving, he is. So everything we have, every gracious gift is from God, and it's born and flows to us out of his love for us, which is mind-blowing. But in order for us to walk into that love, to step into that, God uses something called faith. Salvation, it says this, for it is by grace, the grace of God, through faith that you are saved. So the grace and mercy and love and kindness of God's poured out to us, and then we get a revelation of that, and we exercise faith. Now, I know there's some say, well, are you saying you earned it? No, I'm not saying we earned it. I don't know. I have a hard time explaining this to, my, to some of my friends who don't see it like this. You and I do nothing to earn our salvation. 
We didn't create it. We didn't earn it. We don't achieve it. We don't do any of that. But we do step into it. And, you know, I got some friends, and they, they love the Lord, and, and they say, well, but Tracy, you, you did this, you're saying you did that. But I get confused because when I read the Bible, the Bible says this. John said this in John, the Gospel, chapter 1. It said, for as many as received him. Well, now, Tracy, you, you, you can't receive. But as many as received him, to those who called upon his name, to them he gave the right, the power, the privilege to become the children of God. So you didn't do anything. It's like somebody bringing you a gift. You didn't do anything for that gift. They just gave you the gift. But it is nice for you to hold out your arms and receive it. Are you with me? That, and I don't feel like just because I received it that I'm saying I earned anything. I just received the gift. And so faith works by love, but faith is the key, the open door, the steps us into all these promises of God. Let's look at that in Hebrews chapter 6 or chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is what? It's impossible to please God. It's not just highly unlikely, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, anyone who comes to God, must believe that he exists. We believe he exists through faith. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. This verse always blows, God blows me away. It's, there's always more to God. See, I would end the scripture right there in the natural, that you must believe he exists, period, and move on. But that's not all faith does. Faith believes that God exists and, faith believes God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, earnestly, faithfully seek him. He's a rewarder. Well, I don't know. I just, I'm going to do whatever I do with no expectation of reward. Well, that's sweet, but that's not how God set up the kingdom. I know every one of you were in Matthew 6 this week. Just like we talked last week, that's your assignment, Matthew 6. Go through Matthew 6. I know you guys are, you just smile and shake your head yes. And I'll go, oh, man, what a faithful bunch. They were all Matthew 6. If you went through Matthew 6, you might have noticed this. When you give to the poor... Don't give to the poor expecting anything in return. Don't give to the poor to be seen by people. And if you do that, God will reward you. Hmm. Now, I want you to pray, God says, but don't pray like the hypocrites who want to be seen by people. And he says, and if you'll pray, just to pray and not be seen by people, God will reward you. Hmm. When you fast, don't look all somber and sad. You know, somebody... You know, eats breakfast in the morning. They say, I'm going to begin a fast. And, you know, an hour later, they're around their friends, and they're all draggy. What's going on? I'm fasting. How long has it been since you ate? 45 minutes. You know, I'm just really, I'm just, oh, I just, I, I'm fasting. You know, God called me on a fast till noon, and uh, I'm really, you know, fasting. But he says, don't, don't do that. Put some oil on your head, which I wouldn't suggest. You get the cultural thing there. Make, make sure you, you look normal. You look fine. You smell good. You look good. And he said, if you'll do that, God will reward you. God's a rewarder. God's a rewarder of those who are faithful at seeking him. So he's a rewarder. So faith has to be there to walk into a relationship with God. Now, Hebrews 11.1, 1, if we back up a few verses, gives us a definition of faith, which I always found kind of mysterious to me, but we'll, we'll smoke it out a little today. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
So somebody comes up to you and says, can you tell me what faith is? Yes, I can. Hebrews 11.1, 1. faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you hope they don't ask you, what does that mean? Because you go, wow, we've never gotten that far in a conversation. I just always, the verse would actually usually work. Oh, you know, because sometimes we're afraid to, I don't want to tell them, that means nothing to me. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's read it in a couple other translations. Now, faith is confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Hmm, okay, let's read the next one. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So you say, okay, I'm still not getting it. Okay. What happens is, like for instance, I have absolute faith, belief, confidence in the reality of God. And you ask me, have you ever seen him? No, I have not. I've seen the evidence of him everywhere, but I haven't actually seen him. So I have faith. Faith is my substance, it's my confidence, it's my belief that God exists, even though I haven't seen him. It, it's believing that what I hope for exists. I have the hope of heaven. I believe when I shed this earth suit, I'm going to be in heaven. I've never seen heaven. I haven't been to heaven. How do, you, how do you have faith in that? Then that seems illogical, that seems ridiculous. I was reading a scientist the other day, he doesn't believe in God. And it was quite interesting, he said, I don't believe in God, I don't believe there's any evidence for God. But then he went on and said this, however, I do believe in aliens. And he said, although I have no evidence whatsoever, personal evidence that aliens exist, there's just something in my heart that I believe they do. I thought, well, it kind of sounds like what you don't like people do with God. I believe God exists, heaven exists. Although I haven't seen it, I believe. I say, okay, I need a little more help. Okay, let's, let's see if we can get this. In our kitchen, we have a slot for a refrigerator. The slot is not the normal size, it's slightly smaller. What a wonderful thing, because that means I have to buy a specialized refrigerator to fit that slot. If I buy a normal size one like they sell, it's too big to fit in the slot, it sticks way out into the kitchen, it looks like we built a kitchen around a refrigerator. So one day, we needed a refrigerator. So we went to a, an appliance place, and we, here's what we need, and we found what we need, and it's specialty, it wasn't normal, it wasn't in stock, and so we paid for it in full. Okay. Now, what would have happened if I would have saw you and said, oh, we're so excited today, if you get excited about buying refrigerators, but for the illustration purpose, hey, I'm so excited today, what are you excited about, Tracy? We just bought a refrigerator. That's awesome. Can I come over to your house and take a look at it? Uh, we, well, we don't actually have it, we, but we, we do have it. You know what I mean? No, I have no idea what you mean. I want to go see this thing. Well, you can't see it. But you say you have it. Yes, we, we do have it. You know what my evidence would be? I would pull out an invoice and I would say, here's my evidence. Here it is. Here's my refrigerator. Here's my part number. Here it is. Here's my payment in full. Here's my evidence. And most people go, huh, you got a new refrigerator. And they'd be looking at a piece of paper. This is like faith. This is the substance of what I'm hoping for. It's the evidence of what I've not yet seen. And what happens is one day, we'll file this away, but we could do this. The refrigerator gets arrived, it gets slid into place, it's all functioning and working. We can take that receipt. We don't need faith anymore for that because we now have it. People who are in heaven right now aren't hoping there's a heaven. 
They're not, I got faith, there's heaven. No, when you actually have something, you know, the Bible tells us you no longer have to have faith for it, you no longer have to have hope for it. You do not have hope for that which you already have. And so faith is this internal belief that God exists. Even though I haven't seen him, it's our substance of what we're hoping for. Now, you say, well, that seems like I should increase my faith then, build my faith. I think that's a good plan. In fact, Romans 10, 17 gives us a method for that. It says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Romans 10 is all about being born again, being saved. It's about coming in contact with the Savior and getting salvation. So to receive salvation, if you read the whole chapter, it's a great chapter to read. It talks about how can they know unless they hear, how can they hear without a preacher, you know, so there has to be this communication. By the way, don't get scared about preaching. Preaching just means to communicate something. Everybody preaches every day. We all communicate something. And so you've heard this message about Christ and saving knowledge of Christ, and, and, and you say, I believe. And so that's faith came by hearing. It came by hearing that message. You're building faith right now. At least I hope you are. I hope you're not saying, well, I'm not going to believe that stuff. You, you can, then you're building what I call negative faith. You are building a confidence that what I'm saying is not true. Well, that's faith. I hope you're building a confidence that what God's word says is true, not just what I say is true. This concept applies to anything. It was the topic of salvation, but it could be the topic for hope. could be the topic for healing. could be the topic for peace. could be the topic for direction or wisdom or counsel from God. could be the topic for a wayward loved one that you want to pray into the kingdom. It could anything. You go to the scripture, and you find out what God says on the topic, and you start studying that and reading that, and then all of a sudden faith rises up in your heart to believe for that. We first hear, and then we practice what we hear. We hear, and then we practice what we hear. We hear, and then we practice what we hear. Because the brother of Jesus... The brother of Jesus named James, Andy Stanley says this, and I can't help but think of this, and I probably say it way too often here. But he said this, and it just so stuck with me. He said, James, the brother of Jesus, writes about his brother being the savior of the world. And he said, what would it take for you to convince your brother or sister that you're the savior of the world? I thought, wow, there's nothing I could do. If I went and told my brothers I'm the savior of the world, they'd say, yeah, you're a nut. So... Uh, anyway, there was something about Jesus' life that even his own brother came to the conclusion Jesus was and is the Savior of the world. And so James gives us some advice about that faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's lifeless. Now, again, I always feel a need to say this. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. I'm not talking about earning something from God. I'm talking about we get truth and then we practice it. We put it into to practice. And it's one of the hardest things that happen when I teach on, on healing. See, I still believe Jesus is a healer. I still believe God still heals. Now, I'm not opposed to medicine or science, obviously. My wife just went to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Mayo Clinic, got her skull cracked open, did some work in there, and patched her all back up, and they did a great job. So I'm, I want you healthy, whatever it takes, okay? But I want you to know I still believe Jesus is a healer. But one of the toughest things about teaching healing is not teaching the subject, it's the emotion that gets connected in people's lives to that teaching. Because people often say, oh my goodness, I prayed for a loved one to be healed and I did their funeral later. Oh, I have too. Oh my goodness, I did this. And then we start saying, and I really believe it's the enemy that whispers in our ear, we start feeling this like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God's mad at me. 
maybe this is punishment for something. Okay, let me, let me say this. If the Bible's true, and you are a Christian, and all your sins have been forgiven, and all your sins have been forgotten by God, what's he going to punish you for? There is nothing to punish you for. You are forgiven. Amen. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap for that. That's the good news of the gospel. But we kind of mingle in there with the gospel. Yeah, I know, but I did. Okay, I get it. I'm not promoting sinning. I'm not promoting loose living. I'm just telling you this, that my sins are forgiven. We sang in Jireh, I'm as loved as I ever will be right now. I'm telling you right now, I'm standing before you right now as holy and as perfect and as righteous and as loved as I ever will be. Now, if you know me real well, you'll be going, eh, I don't know. Okay, okay, I'm not saying in my own good deeds. I'm saying in Jesus. I believe the Bible's true. Don't forget all of his benefits. He forgave all your sins. He forgave all your sins. I'm broken and troubled when I see someone, and I've seen it more than once, but one sends out my mind. A buddy of mine was telling him to serve the Lord, encouraging him in Jesus, and he said, I tried it, but I just couldn't keep the pace. You know what I knew? He was trying his own steam to make things happen. If he would have just trusted God and would just kept moving forward, kept moving forward, his life would have been transformed slowly but surely, one day at a time. And so it's not me having to earn something. It's stepping into what I've already been given by God, believing it's true, and then I'm just convinced of this. And again, I'm not saying we do it perfect, but I don't want to identify myself as a sinner. I don't really want to identify myself, and I'm not picking on this. Uh, maybe you say it a lot, and I'm not trying to beat you up. But some people say I'm nothing but an old sinner saved by grace. I would really like first to learn to say, because this is more biblically correct, I was nothing but an old sinner. I've been saved by grace. And this is the Bible. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Because I think, as you've heard me say before, if I think of myself as a sinner, what do sinners do? They sin. What do righteous people do? Live righteously. It gives me an identity that I'm righteous. So if I sin, it goes against the grain of how I see myself. But if I see myself as a sinner, if I sin, well, that's just, that's just the way I live. No, we're, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. So some of these things we just feel like God's out to get us. He's not. He loves us. He's out to get you with his blessing. I'm not saying there isn't hard places in life. You know that. I know that. But God isn't saying you know what, I think I'll just do something mean to people today because I just don't like them so much, or they disappointed me, or they did... No, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. So, we're in a different kingdom. It operates different. Talking about the travel analogy. You go to another country, there's similarities. You can navigate, you can make your way around, but probably not as well as if you really understood the culture. Some countries, as I mentioned, they drive on the opposite side of the road than we do. Their currency is different. Their language is different. Their customs are different. Their gestures are different. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've heard many examples of it. There are gestures that we would do in this country that mean nothing, that we do in another country. It's very vulgar and very offensive. Uh, wow. I just did something. I didn't know it was vulgar or offensive. Well, it's good to know the culture you're in. So you can navigate, but you can't navigate as well as if you understand the kingdom that you're in. I want us to navigate well. I want to ask the question, aren't you kind of tired of living beneath the level where God wants you to live? Wouldn't you say, I, I, I would go for, you know, some growth in my understanding of God and not living far below God's best for us? There's a guy named Jamie Buckingham. Jamie Buckingham was, I, I liked him. He was a tongue-in-cheek uh, writer. He 
He would zing people. He wasn't afraid to make fun of anybody. He's a Christian guy, but he'd make fun of his fellow Christians. Uh, and it was, he was just an interesting writer. And um, he uh, was asked to speak on the 700 Club, which is Pat Robertson's network. And so he goes to the 700 Club, and he's going to speak. He's going to be on the 700 Club. And then that night, he's a keynote speaker in a big convention they're having here. Well, they've just finished the hotel there uh, at 700 Club. And he gets his room, and he walks into the room, and he looks around, and it's just, it's a beautiful, like, living room. There's some, a couch, a TV, some chairs, some tables, but there's no bed in the thing. And so he looks around, he starts opening the doors, he opens one door, finds a closet, he opens another door, finds a bathroom, he tries to open another door, it's locked. Now, I don't know if you know this, but some hotels, they have adjoining doors that are locked, so you're not really supposed to open that door and walk into the other room. So he's like, I can't believe this. He said, I, I don't have a bed? And so he ends up pulling out the couch bed. He sleeps on the couch. He, he actually said, he said, um, Lord, I can't believe they called me here to speak, and I, I didn't even get a bed. And he said, he felt like the Lord said, it's good for people who get full of themselves to sleep on a couch. And he's like, okay. So he slept on the couch. So he goes to the 700 Club thing that morning. Uh, the host there says, How, how's your sleep? How'd everything go? He said, well, pretty good. He said, just, you know, I slept on the couch bed and Back in the day, they've improved them a lot. Back in the day, you always had a bar in your back. I don't know if you've ever slept on a couch, but, you know, and so he was a little sore, a little unrested, and they said, that doesn't make sense. They walked up to the room after the show was over, and they went over, and the door was locked, but they opened it up, and there was a king-size suite in there. He said, I looked in there, man, there's even little chocolates on the pillows waiting for me. There's a big master bathroom. There's all this. Right across the door was all the lap of luxury I could have dreamed of. But he didn't know the kingdom he was operating in. He didn't understand that, how that worked. Now, if he spent another night, I guarantee he didn't sleep on the couch. He walked into the fullness of everything he was supposed to enjoy, and he enjoyed that room. There's nothing wrong with that to enjoy what God has for him. So I want to say this. Please hear me. There is freedom from addiction. There is. There's deliverance from nagging sins that just seem to keep hanging on. There's restoration of relationships. There's healing for our, our minds, our emotions, our bodies. There's salvation for that wayward friend, loved one, family member, classmate, whoever that you want to trust God for. There's provision for our needs. There's refreshing for our souls. We need to build our faith and put it into action. Now let's go back to Jesus' brother James because we're going to learn how to put this in action. James 2, 20 through 22. You foolish person. Don't you love it when a conversation starts like that? You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless, or some translations say dead? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were what? Working together. His faith and actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, I want to be clear about this. If you read the scripture, you will find that the Bible says that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. It will say Abraham is the father of our faith. It will not say Abraham went to sacrifice his son and therefore was made righteous. No, it was his faith, his belief, but his actions went with his faith and made his faith complete. Let me explain how this works in, you know, the real world going out there. 
There's a guy named Sir Lionel Luku, and he's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most winning attorney in history. He had 245 consecutive acquittals of people who were convicted or were accused of murder. So he had 245 in a row victorious outcomes in the courtroom. So he obviously had a brilliant mind, logical deduction, analytical, all that. Well, in his 60s, about his mid-60s, he was asked to, he was given a challenge to examine the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And so he took the challenge and he spent two years, two years studying that, using the same patterns he would use to win a court case. He looked at it and he followed the evidence, looked for where everything went, and then at the end of two years, this is what he said. He said this, I say unequivocally, he's British, that sounds like a British word, doesn't it? I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Wow. Now, I'm going to show you the difference between real faith, faith in action, and just general faith. I want to quote James again, James 2.19. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and tremble in terror. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. Just answer it in your mind. Do you think demons are Christians? They're not. Well, why not? They have faith. They have faith that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Why, don't they, why aren't they Christians? Well, let me show you the difference between them and between Sir Lionel Luku. I think there's a lot of people like demons. By the way, please, I'm not calling people who don't believe in Jesus demons. I'm just saying that same concept, that there are people who believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, sure. They have a certain kind of faith. I, yeah, my granddaddy was a preacher. My daddy was a preacher. I, I believe, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the savior of the world. But they're still lost in their sins. Why? Because they haven't had corresponding actions of faith to what they say they believe. Faith without action, faith without works, faith without deeds is dead, it's useless, it's non-transformative. So Sir Lionel Luku says that he's convinced beyond doubt that the proof is inarguable. There's no room for doubt. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, now here's the only logical response if you have true Bible faith. He spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus. He gave his life to the Lord and spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus. This happened in about his mid-60s, and he traveled the world talking about the proof of the resurrection and what all he had learned. See, faith with action. Now, he could have said, that was so interesting, so intriguing, such a wonderful exercise of my intellect. Give me another problem. Let me look at something else. I'm ready to move on from that. Let's give me something else. He couldn't move on from that because that's saving faith. He said, I just concluded that Jesus is the Savior of the world. What must I do with that conclusion? I must act upon it. I must give my life to him. And he spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus. Now I have some things in my life I want to increase my faith in. I want to get God's truth in it. I want to build my faith. I want to build my understanding. 
and I want to pray with confidence, and I want to put matching action to those. And, and I do want to say this. I refuse to get discouraged at myself, mad at myself, or mad at God. Because a lot of people, after they're done saying, what's wrong with me? Is God mad at me? Is he upset with me? Does he not love me? Then they start saying, now I'm mad at you, God. And they get mad at God. I don't want to waste any of my time on either of those things. What I want to do is just keep growing. So did I pray for Darlene to be well without having to go get surgery? You better believe I did. And she went and got surgery, and she's well. And you know what? I'm not going to waste any time spending six months going, why didn't? And why didn't I? what's wrong with me? And, and all that. I'm just going to say, you know what? I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep growing my understanding of how the kingdom works, how God works, how faith works. And we have all these wonderful things we can enjoy along the way, and we just keep growing. So here's our assignment. Pick an area to grow in your understanding of what God's word says on the topic. It could be anything. Maybe you need hope. Maybe you need to get over shame and guilt and fear. Maybe you need health in your body or in your emotions, or maybe you have a lost loved one that needs to know Jesus as their Savior. And then practice combining faith and action to your prayers. Now, here's a simple example. Let's say uh, I feel like I need to share my faith more at work and at school or in the neighborhood. I need to be a bolder yet loving and gentle evangelist. And I always chicken out every time I get the chance to share my faith or let the light of Jesus shine. So Lord, help me. And you start studying, you start looking at the word, you start, he that winneth souls is wise, and you start seeing all this. How can they know about Jesus unless somebody tells them? You start getting all that word in you and you think, okay, I can be God's mouthpiece. Let me tell you what I promise will happen. You will get an opportunity to share your faith. And that's where you have to say, this, this is my choke point every time. Uh, and then you have to just step out in faith and just let your light shine. Not rude, not holier than thou, not mean, just loving. Let people know why you have this hope within you and do it with gentleness and respect, the Bible says. And so you let your light shine. Now let me tell you what might happen. You might share what Jesus has done in your life and how he's changed you and all the transformations happened, how wonderful it would be for them if they came to know Jesus. And they may, when you're done, laugh at you and say, that's the last thing in the world I would ever do is give my life to Jesus. Now, when that happens, it's, it doesn't give you the warm fuzzies. It doesn't make you think, that was such a great evangelistic experience. I just can't wait to go get some more. But you just say, hold it. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. And one day, you'll come to somebody. I'm serious about this. If you'll, you'll practice this, you'll come to somebody, and you'll get on a spiritual conversation, and they'll look at you and say, what must I do to be saved? You'll go, wow, that, that was easy. And you'll pray with them to receive Christ. So you just practice these things. And you keep building your faith, gaining your knowledge, and then in faith you step out and do what you do. And every time I do anything, I can tell you this right now, I learn from my mistakes. I, and so I added, I've, I've shared my faith with a lot of people, and I've walked away before and said, oh, that was bad. That wasn't wise. That wasn't good. That wasn't. And so I keep saying, next time I won't do that. Next time I won't do that. And you just keep improving. You keep getting better. You keep becoming what God's called you to be, a, a witness for him. So make that your assignment, whatever the topic is. Work on it this week. It doesn't have to be sharing your faith. It could be anything. And let's grow in that. Let's pray together.